Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mindshifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mindshifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Wednesday, March 15th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everybody who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice, absolutely free on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book, His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again, absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It also contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they use these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, please do so. Give us a call at 563-999-3581. And press 1 on your phone. That will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I will then turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code, and we can have a conversation. 
Alternatively, you can send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. Or you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N.org. And if you do that, we will, once we receive that, we will take time to address it on the Internet show and then as time allows, send you a comment, a question about what day and time it was addressed and you can listen back to the archives to hear the input. That is one of the things that leads to some of the best shows that frequently end up being in the archives as highlight shows because the archives of this show for the past 12 plus years are available uh, through the whyagain.org website and some of those specialty shows are available at mindshiftersacademy.org website and we encourage people to go make use of those resources. They're free. While Michael and Jeannie pay to maintain them, they don't charge you to go access the archives. So we're always grateful when people choose to take advantage of the resources that Michael and Jeannie are making available free and use them to improve your life quality. And if you're lucky, even your relationships. So the second hour today will be a recording because Michael and Jeannie are quite busily involved working with her father and his health issues and his being in the hospital and or moving out of the hospital. So so the second hour, whenever it starts, will be a recording. But we have time before then to uh, be a service, and it would be wonderful if you could let us know what would be a service to you today. How can we support you? We had a support group last night. And we did something rather unusual. We watched we watched a video of a podcast with Greg Braden being interviewed by the gentleman who hosts the podcast titled Next Level Soul. And it was the least... Um, practical spiritual video we watched in a good long time because it it was this interviewer trying to pick Greg Braden's brain about some of the more uh, radical notions about what they're discovering at archaeological digs and um, and how what they're discovering in hard science goes against the traditional model that says civilization began 5,000 years ago 
in in what they would refer to as the cradle of civilization down in Africa. And they're finding all kinds of highly advanced civilizations from as far back as 20,000 years ago. And they were having a discussion about how Greg Braden is just one of a number of people who have been trying to ask the academic experts, why aren't you teaching this in schools? And he's been told by colleagues and uh, people running academic institutions that they're going to wait for the next generation to come along and push that envelope. They don't want to have to rewrite all the books they've been using to teach history and ancient history and they don't want to have to account for all of these new discoveries, so they're simply not going to teach it. And they're going to wait until a whole new generation of students comes along who have learned these things from resources other than the academic elite. They've learned them from the Internet or they've learned them from actual field work. And... It reminded me of Michael Rice, I forget who said it, but he likes to quote that new science only takes over when the old scientists die off. And um, and the essence of that quote is the realization that much of what passes for science is actually dogma. It's, it's actually unquestioned belief every bit as much as any religion is. And so it is not um, it's not actual science that passes as science. It's a good old boy network. It is um, a, a well-practiced momentum that just keeps getting repeated that has very little to do with actual model of scientific discovery which says question everything and put it to the test and refuse to be um, what should I say waylaid by somebody's beliefs or dogmas or some formal convention that doesn't allow itself to be examined and challenged. Science is all about challenging and being skeptical and learning and observing and testing. But if you have somebody who is working in a so-called academic or scientific uh, endeavor and they refuse to allow what they're working with or what they're assuming as a, a theory or a thesis to be tested, uh, it isn't science anymore. It's belief. So um, that led us to discussing some more examples of how how active our process of perception is and how 
none of us are accurately perceiving much of anything outside of us because we begin with the false belief that our perception is accurate and that is a false premise to to start with and so whatever kinds of conclusions we draw can only be partially true because if we believe our perception is accurate we're starting with a flawed perception or premise to our our system of logic and so how do we know anything well in a way of mastery was very very um, what is the way consistent in helping us understand it even offered some exercises for us to demonstrate to ourselves how little we actually know about anything in our world about our bodies about you know what we need what any of our brothers and sisters need and to learn to observe and question from that ultimate baseline raw direct observation is one of the big big things that the way of mastery was trying to get us to do throughout the year that we read it last year and of course that goes right along with the model of true science which is question everything observe it directly measure it test it develop a theory about how it functions and then develop some hypotheses that can test that can be tested through experimentation to either prove or disprove the hypothesis and move closer and closer to the ability to either verify the the validity of a theory or disprove it and of course actual science is always willing to have its theories be disproven and anything that doesn't want to let its theories be examined or refuses to acknowledge when they've been disproven now you're not really in the realm of science anymore you're in the realm of politics and dogma and belief and usually bureaucracy and greed and things like that so who are you where do you come from what's your reason for being here all of these things are just questions that people make up and then answers that they make up to answer the question none of it is actually known and living with that questioning and that ambiguity and learning to be comfortable in it is a real challenge for most of us especially in the western world and we're also um encouraged to use as a guidance system our emotional energy system that's one of the core things with the way of mastery and the course in miracles and michael rice's work and the reality management worksheet is anytime the active process of perception in my mind leaves me feeling a negative emotional state the very best use of that is to say hey tim you're either focusing on the wrong few bits of data right now 
or you've created negative, a false, and imperfect, or completely false set of conclusions or perceptions that lead to conclusions. So take a breath, turn the focus inside, cancel everything you think you want, your trifling treasures put away as the Course in Miracles would have us, would would say it, and choose, again, choose a different interpretation. Choose to focus on a different part of your experience of life in the moment. Choose to ask to be shown something completely different. And in that way, open the possibility to expand your experience of life and your experience of yourself beyond what words can describe. So that's what we're recommending. That's the the purpose of and the core behind the tools that Michael and Jeannie offer. And we're here to support the use of doing just that very thing. Call in number 563-999-3581. Let me know what your thoughts are on this. Have you heard anything about the most recent archaeological finds that say there were complex, sophisticated cultures going back 20,000 years and more, which completely rewrites the timeline of the the, um, current scientific, quote, scientific, close quotes, model, which says that civilization itself began only 5,000 years ago. Is it possible that we've had many cycles of civilizations and um, cultures, complex cities, um, bases of knowledge that include things that would not be knowable if we believed that there was no sophisticated science prior to 5,000 years ago. How are you with integrating information that completely challenges fundamental core beliefs that you have? How are you at letting in things that seriously challenge your beliefs. I remember not too long ago we were working with Magda and she had a level of upset that was quite intense. And one of the things that came from our interaction was the suggestion that she start to do worksheets on her ability to release as thoroughly and completely as she can to release her attachment to what she believes. Imagine that. Imagine releasing any attachment to believing that I'm right because I believe this or that 
or that my beliefs are better than somebody else's beliefs. How comfortable are you with releasing your attachment to whatever it is you think you know? If you're like most of us, you're not very comfortable with it at all. If you're like most of us, that would be something that would be like getting on one of those carnival rides that spin you upside down at a very high rate and get you so disoriented that you don't know what's up and what's down and makes you nauseous because your physical energy system is not designed to function that way. What would it take for you to release your attachment, completely, totally release your attachment to everything you think you believe and know? Pushing just a little bit harder than the way of mastery did last year when it had us doing some exercises to just demonstrate to ourselves how little we actually know about ourselves, about our lives, about the people around us. How comfortable can we be starting from scratch, having everything we think we know turned upside down? 610, Susan? Hi. Well, it strikes me, this great question, it strikes me that finding out that there has been civilization much earlier than scientists are saying, I don't find that threatening at all. There's something about issues that are much more immediate and close. I can get much more upset about it. I mean, I might think it's kind of, you know, um, rude or dumb to keep teaching something that scientists, that the teachers know isn't true. But on the other hand, there's another element in teaching, which is to learn, to learn how to learn, to learn how to read, think about things. If the facts aren't quite right, maybe that's not as important. But I'm thinking, what does, what what things do upset me are much more more, more immediate and close to home. Um, I had a grandson talking to me about some thoughts he, he has about my son, Jonathan. Now, it's a long, long story, but my grandson has kind of written my son off. He says he's an alcoholic. Well, he drinks a, a drink occasionally, but my grandson is trying to stay sober and he thinks my son is an alcoholic my son is this and my son is that and I'm finding that I want to correct that and defend my son and I'm I'm feeling a little tight in the test as if somehow this is a threat to me too that's my son you're talking about and I also want my grandson not to even posted something that was like libel on Facebook and I texted him and I said have a look at what you just texted. I think you should take that down immediately. And some people commented on it before it was taken down. Um, He's kind of cantankerous. He's all over the place. He's actually healing, but it's kind of messy. That sort of thing bothers me much more. 
I don't know whether that's answering your question or not, or even relevant. But well, it's a thought. It, it, it's a it's a great thought because it, it brings us to what Michael Rice would say. That thought bothers me even more. That bothers me even more. All of that is a lie. It doesn't yeah, bother me. I create I a lot triggered. of bother about it. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not triggered okay. by it. I create an interpretation of it that sets up this resonant frequency that stirs up the upset that I have in me. Yeah, that's well, I true. can generate upset true. about that. It's not that it upsets yeah. me. That's true, Dr. Tim. And you know what? I haven't changed my words. I still use the old words. I don't say that made me, but I do say everything else all around it. I'm still dancing around that denial, to be reminded. A little humiliating, but good. Okay, I'll do a worksheet on being humiliated, too. Well, but it isn't humiliating. <laughs> so, so, so you'll get more benefit from that worksheet when you recognize, oh, it's not humiliating, but I can generate all of these negative thoughts about myself. And, and what are they based on? That I'm not right, that I've made a mistake, and oh, so I need to uncover how I've been programmed to think that it's bad or wrong for me to make a mistake or I'm not safe if I make a mistake or that I'm supposed to be flawless and whenever I have a flaw, that's humiliating. So it's, you know, that that, that structure that we create with our words and it's a structure of thought pattern, it's a structure of belief, is really really useful if we slow it down and back it up and parse it out rather than just letting the old pattern run without challenging it without questioning it without understanding okay so where did this come from well this came from a belief that people and things outside of me create my emotions that's why i'm still saying it as though it upsets me Mm -hmm. all right well let me take a look at that what would it sound like, look like, feel like if I were stepping into 100% responsibility for every emotion I create? That's just, that's just part of, of using the tools of language and thought more productively. That's not a shameful thing. It's not a humiliating thing. It's not, you know, calling yourself on the carpet. And, and ridiculing yourself or, you know, bad-mouthing yourself. It's just observing. Oh, look at how when I say it this way, it implies this. And when I say it that way, it opens up these possibilities. That was one of the harder things for me to um, get accustomed to in this work when I would first start um, working with Dr. Michael Rice because he um, – he would be probably even more, I'll use the word aggressively and relentlessly focused on that over 12 years ago when he first started the Internet show and when he would be doing his um, seminars when he would show up in a town, is that he would interrupt 
in almost constantly and to the point where people mm-hmm. couldn't make any any statements yeah. they couldn't make any raise any good questions because mm-hmm. he would be uh I use the word aggressively already he would be doggedly and forcefully calling it out right so that I think of instead of hearing what, what somebody was was asking all we heard was a repetition of Michael's position. Mm-hmm. And it's softened over the years, and he's gotten better and better mm-hmm. at it. Over, that he can actually let people get out more of their stuff and then go back and say, would you care to take a look at your denial? And, and here's our definition yeah. of denial, and here's what you said here. Yeah. But that's after he's already let them you know, have some airtime to to hear what the actual right. essence of their question is. Mhm. And that was very challenging for me. I was just you know, I I'd been doing therapy for lots and lots of years and considered myself quite um proficient in therapy and and a, a big help to people and all that good stuff and to be shut down like at every turn almost every time I opened my mouth yeah. It was quite challenging. Mhm. Well, it is. I had a friend come on the radio show um a couple of years ago. I was telling her about Michael's work and um one of her issues is and Michael didn't know this, but she has a thing about men shutting her down. And that's what happened. She had a question and she presented herself as rather meek. And she isn't. She's this powerful woman. But that other ego state set in, and Michael interrupted her just exactly that way. And she said, that's it. I'm not, I'm, that's it. I'm not going to call back. And she never did. And I thought, oh, no, you know, this is one of those things. I said, you just got to hang in. It's just his way. He's a zealot. He's a genius. He thought about this stuff. He's got this tool, and he wants to spread it. And he gets, he's practically jumping up and down, uh, trying to get it out. It's not you, you know. But I know, and I'm glad he has sort of tempered that some. It still happens a lot. He gets really worked up and talks very fast and <clears throat> pressured speech and all this sort of thing. And I think, oh, you know, if you don't have a lot of vitality, it's kind of exhausting sometimes. But I'm usually up for it. But. Um, I appreciate your saying that because I do keep repeating my mistakes. I had an interesting thing happen. I really couldn't talk on the show for the last couple of days because there was a family issue that I couldn't talk about on the radio show because it would be revealing, you know, violating people's privacy. And I wasn't a direct, directly involved, but I was having a lot of feelings and reactions. And when things started resolving, I felt so good. And the idea popped to my mind, I'm in denial about this too. My joy about the fact that the kids are talking through an issue between them. And I'm getting to see that they might end up being friends after a big disagreement. Making me very happy. And I thought, oh, same thing. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. So I didn't do a worksheet, but it came to mind. 
than might be appropriate. I think Jeannie yeah, well, has admitted that she has, she's actually done worksheets when she's happy, thinking that something oh, yeah. made her happy. Yeah, and it's not it's not that there's any problem with being happy. It's that if I'm falsely attributing my happiness to someone or something outside of me, I'm setting myself up for a bigger failure down the road. I'm I'm right. continuing to reinforce the false belief that I am not the architect of my life and my emotions and my experience. And the more I reinforce that false belief, the more momentum it carries and the harder it is for me to see clearly what it is in my life that's either creating my joy and aliveness or creating my upset at whatever flavor and level of it is. And this is just about the, the, the reason the, the true spiritual teachers talk about this is not to say that they're better than somebody else. It's just to present the tools and the options to everybody who's willing to observe them that, that will allow each of us to create a better life. Mm-hmm. As spiritual teachers, that's all they're doing. They're not raking in hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars. They're not, you know, um, talking about how they're better than anybody. The true spiritual teachers are just saying, look, when you understand how your mind-body energy system actually works, what it is that you're using to create your experience of life moment to moment, you are now in a position to create a more joyful, a more gratitude-based, a more respectful a more contentment-focused experience of life, moment to moment. It's, it's not about telling somebody they're wrong. Mm. It's not about thinking I'm better than somebody because I've mastered this tool to a different degree than they have. Right. It's just about trying to create the opportunity, the experience, moment to moment, for anybody who wants to, to improve their quality of life. We've got a cat interested to hear this. So you can hear him. <laughs> He's and second cat. You can't. You you didn't hear him. He's a pretty loud guest. Yes. So, oh yeah, I so, did. I did. I heard it definitely. Did yeah. He's he's got to have some Siamese in him somewhere. So, Tim, um, I just finished my Zoom group, and we have a man. I've told you about him. We had a discussion today that I would love to ask you about to follow up here in this radio show. It might have to do with what you were saying, but. I can't connection right away, so is it okay if I go off the topic? Sure. We've been talking. He had some, a couple of near-death experiences, and he didn't give details about it. But he said, when I learned that you don't die after you die, that your body dies, but you don't, your consciousness goes on, I had to change my thinking because as a teenager, 
I had figured that once my body died, that's the end of consciousness for me for all eternity. This is my big chance, and then I won't know consciousness ever again. Well, he put his finger on my worst fear. But for him, when he realized, he was disappointed to find out that there was going to be life after his body died. And he said he had to adjust his thinking and make some decisions about how he wanted to live from then on. And then we got into this discussion about, well, what lives, what lives on? And he said, well, people call it spirit, but I call it my consciousness. And I've always thought that that is the thing that may be non-material, that might live on. But he said, oh, no, the consciousness is just, it's on a continuum. And everything is conscious. Everything is conscious. A rock is conscious. And he didn't say about what level it's on or whether it's conscious of its being conscious. But he said it's a continuum. And I've, I just wondered if you think about that sort of thing and where our work could dovetail with all that. Where our work can dovetail with whether or not there is something other than the body as consciousness? Well, I don't know, Dr. Tim. I don't know where I'm going with it. It's just so exciting. It's an exciting thought. He, there's a little movie that was put out by NASA I forget the name of it, something like 10 Degrees, and it started with a couple in an airport. And 10 10 degrees out, 10 degrees out, until they're in the deepest parts of the universe. And then they come 10 degree increments back in, and they come back in and not only come to the couple, but into the couple's bodies and into the tiniest parts of their bodies. And finally, you end up with a universe of space that's, looks just like the exterior universe but it's the interior and he's trying to explain what consciousness is from that and I haven't been able to hitch them up maybe I need a different radio show for this <laughs> when, and so you when you find the radio show that helps you explain the mysteries of life and the cosmos. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because that's what you're well, talking about. Right? I know. These are the I answers think it's kind of, of silly. It isn't silly. It's just these are the big questions of life that philosophers and scientists and theologians and spiritual teachers for thousands and thousands of years have debated. And, and Greg Braden you know, is talking about them too. Well, sure. And and the the from another lens or perspective, this is you haven't changed the topic at all. What I was talking about earlier was, can you release your attachment to your beliefs? Mm-hmm. So here's this guy who thought that when he died, it would be the end of him completely, and. And that's when he was a teenager, and then he had a near-death experience, and he learned, oh, my gosh, the essence of him, his consciousness, or whatever you want to call it, is going to continue. So now he has to let go of, in one way or another, he has to try to get comfortable 
releasing his attachment to that false belief because now he's had another direct life experience which says that's not true. And he's not comfortable with that. He wants to hold on to the old belief. So he's going to have to tolerate the discomfort or find a way to dissipate it or create a belief system that lets him you know, cling to the new belief system that you know, tolerates the ambiguity or creates a new certainty that isn't ambiguous. But we're all in that state at one level or another. We either shine it on mm. and, oh, never mind, I think I'll just go have a beer and watch the next sports game or go buy something or pursue my next you know, sexual conquest. Or we, we wrestle with these questions. And we ask ourselves and we ask our ministers and our spiritual teachers and our priests and nuns and our family and friends and we argue with them about. And so basically everybody at one level or another is either wrestling with these questions or finding ways to numb out to avoid having to deal with them. But they're the big big (laughs) questions of life. Mm. So it's not silly and it's just, you know, it's, as old as humanity or as consciousness and will we have answers? I don't know. Do we need answers? I don't know that either. One of the things that they were talking about is that the science as it's being taught and this um, theory of human evolution, etc., that there's no science to back it up. It's just this theory, but the science doesn't support the theory that we Mm. basically um, evolved from lower species. Right. That, you know, over time, we've perhaps changed, but that, and that we might have some, I think they were calling it Neanderthal DNA, um, in ours, mixed in ours, but they said basically that's because we would have boyfriend and girlfriends that were Neanderthals because we mated with them, not because we came up through evolution that way. And that there are genetic markers that say, hey, wait, there are things about our speech and about our intellectual processing that are not present in the lower humanoid forms and in the chimpanzees and the great apes and things. And so the theory is now, you know, there's a competing theory with the traditional model that says there was an event and it probably happened not just 5,000 years ago in the cradle of civilization as that common Um, quote, pseudo-scientific belief would have us say, but it probably happened well over 20-some thousand years ago because that level of sophistication that they're finding in these old civilizations isn't, isn't possible without that advanced intellectual capacity. So anyway, you know, toss a coin, grab a theory, mm-hmm. 
<clears throat> discuss it with your friends. I'm going to turn on the microphone here for uh, area code 828. This is Magda. Yes, it is. Hi. Hi, Dr. Tim. Hi, Susan. Um, Hi. I, you, um, Dr. Tim, you, you mentioned my name earlier in the, the uh, beginning of this show um, regarding a real big issue that I had um, and, uh, and the outcome was fantastic. The homework you gave me was, of course, to um, work on letting go of my... Um, attachment to beliefs. My attachment to my beliefs. And the big thing that helped me to do that was another part of the um, assignment you gave me, or options, I should say, um, and that was to look at what I was afraid of. If what I believed was not true, what was I afraid of might happen. That, that opened so many doors for me. And so now I keep that in as one of my, um, my tools in my reservoir that if I'm really, really debating and, and upset about what someone else believes because it's different from me, what is it I'm really afraid of giving up or changing or threatened by? So I just wanted to, to stick that in there because um, <laughs> that was hard to do and also very liberating when I did it. it. It was just so liberating for my mind to think, oh, okay, well, I believe that, I believe this, that other person believes that and that and that. We don't agree. Who cares? Because no one really knows who's right. <laughs> so it was also a matter of giving up needing to be right. Yeah, it's it's huge. It's, it's why that is in every worksheet process. I cancel my need to be right. I mean, it's in the core of the way of mastery and the Course in Miracles and Guy Finley's work and, you know, it basically even um, Byron Katie's work, you know, she says that her, her spiritual awakening led her to the realization that she only suffers. She doesn't suffer... Mm-hmm. When she has a negative thought, this is this is really important. A lot of people miss this. She doesn't suffer when she has a negative thought. She suffers when she believes her negative thoughts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when she's invested in her negative thoughts, attached to her negative thoughts being exactly, right. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just Absolutely. another set of words to, is to describe this, the level of energy mm-hmm. that I'm attaching to being right mm-hmm. about this or that. Believing my negative thoughts, pouring my mind energy mm-hmm. into that belief is the dynamic that creates the negativity in my life. And if you take a step back and, and realize what that means, it's right there in, you know, page five of the Way of Mastery. It says, you only experience the effects of your choices. 
So if you choose to believe your negative thoughts, then you experience this intense energy, you know, basically to the degree to which you are pouring your mind energy into it and claiming it to be of value. And as soon as you release that and quit that process, you quit pouring the gasoline on the fire kind of thing, the less negative impact you take from it, almost instantaneously, if that's what you were reporting. Right, Magda? That as soon as you said, okay, well, so what? And, and, you know, the truth of it is it's not going to be that devastating. And you had almost yeah. instantaneous relief. Yeah, the relief is, is the really big experience that I had, and it was instantaneous. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was throwing a switch. <laughs> it was such a simple switch, right? But I hadn't thought about it before. So it was a great suggestion. Thank you. You are welcome and deserving. <laughs> we have yet one more hand up. I believe it's Anne. Oh. Hi. Yeah, I just said I'd join in on the conversation. Um, I agree with all you were saying. So I made a note because I wanted to listen to what everybody was saying. But when you, Dr. Tim, were talking about the video that you watched and everything, I kind of was on the line with what Susan was saying at one point, that my first thought was, who cares? For me, it's like I had more pressing things happening in the moment, right, here in my kitchen, cleaning up a stove that was disgusting because I let it go for so long. And I was like, okay, this is kind of fun. I don't need to think about what he just read or, you know, discussed that you, uh, from the video and kind of like what Susan was saying, yeah, there's more pressing things that are happening. So I'm not going to let it, you know, get too far into my thoughts. Um, so, yeah. And then I like what you um, were saying, Magda, too, because I think I've just experienced that recently as well is I don't have to dwell on the negative. It can just be that thought like you've so well stated, Dr. Tim. So anyway, just just joining in, ladies. <laughs> Thanks. Well, and, you know, the core to what you're saying is that when you say you've got more pressing things, what makes them more pressing? Oh, my perception. <laughs> your, decide, your decision to, to focus on them and say this is important. Yeah. You know, and... and my cat's health is more important than, or my countertops are more important than, or my belief in my creator and my personal relationship with Jesus is more important than X, Y, or Z. That's the only thing that gives it the value that we experience it as having, is our choice. But then when we get into the negative, like, say, I'm having a conversation and for instance, if my daughter takes something I say differently than what I meant it, I can 
challenge that or I can just let it go. I don't have to dwell there. I mean, does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. You could say, oh, I'm sorry that you're taking offense to this. That certainly wasn't my intent. Bless your heart. Let me know yes. if you want to explore or let me know if you want to have time to blow off some steam about it. or And um, I'll just go back to cleaning the stove that I neglected for a while. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that would be perfect, yeah, because she wouldn't let it get that bad on her. <laughs> anyway, it's a joy, ladies. Carry on. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Tim. Blessings. You're welcome. Blessings. Thank you for the call. Any additional thoughts from you, Magda or Susan? Uh, that's it for me. I'll, I'll just listen. I'll sign off. Well, I've been reading with great interest this Christian Sundberg book, <clears throat> and I mark it up a lot. And one of the things that I would love to have a discussion with at some point is fear and the ego. It's a paragraph on page 29 in the book. Can I just read the paragraph? Would that make sense? Sure. The ego is the part of the self that wishes to protect the self as the individual is having the alien experience of separation. So that's a, that's a mouthful right there. Talking about himself there, his experience of having known life as a non-physical being who was in a blissful state and chose to come back here. So I'll read that sentence again. The ego is the part of the self that wishes to protect the self as the individual is having the alien experience of separation. The ego is not a separate thing. It is an internal structure that arises as a response to fear. The ego seeks to relieve the individual from fear by attempting to reclaim power that seems to have been lost, but is in fact never truly lost. The ego's main activities include establishing belief, claiming false power, and justifying the self, small, small s, the self. I never thought of the ego. I just think of the ego is whatever part of me is presenting itself as a separate human being. It might not be acting out of fear at all. It might be, uh, isn't it my ego that's helping me teach a class or, you know, drive the car? Maybe not. I've never thought about it that much. Well, you know, um, it can get all kinds of layered and complex or it can stay very simple, right? So what is the ego? It is what you define it as. You know, at one point, Michael Rice is talking about, the eye is the lamp of the soul. If the light for you is darkness, how deep shall your darkness become? Here's this biblical quote. And he Mm -hmm. says, if you look at the ancient Aramaic, what that means is something closer to your perceptual mind is your light for this earthly life. 
your perceptual mind, your ability to perceive your body and the world around you mm-hmm. is your light for the earthly life. It's here just to help you keep safe so you don't walk off a cliff or step into an open manhole or step out in front of traffic. And it's useful for that. That's your perceptual mind. Mm -hmm. And your perceptual mind and its conclusions were designed simply for that. Now, that you could say that's the ego, the perceptual mind and its thoughts and conclusions. You could say that's your ego. And Mm -hmm. in that case, it has value because it helps me navigate when I leave the office to get home and drive safely in traffic. And that's a function of the conscious logical mind, the perceptual mind, the ego, etc. Other people would define the ego as a sense of self, a sense of this complex like like the twin powers of complexity of thoughts and memories and conclusions and assumptions and beliefs about myself and how I'm supposed to function in the world and how the world is supposed to treat me. So that's a more complex definition for the ego. But, you know, my preference is to keep it simple and to keep it functional. And I don't need to have an argument with somebody about the definition of ego in order to step into the realization that when I set a series of thoughts and beliefs active in my mind and they result in a negative emotion, I want to change that. Mm. And if I'm recognizing that I set the whole thing in motion with the interpretations I've chosen and the mind energy I'm pouring into it, it means I have full power to change it. If I blame it on anyone or anything else, I hide from myself the fact, the power that I have to create my experience, and I create the belief, false though it may be, that I'm a victim. So I like to keep it just that simple. And, Mm. of course, in miracles in the way of mastery say, you know, basically... The ego, your sense of self as being separate from anyone or anything else, is born of the false belief in separation. So it was Mm. instantaneously created the minute you decided to pretend you could be separate from anyone or anything. And in that same moment, the truth of how you're always connected to everyone and everything is reaffirmed. Mm. So you're just living in the dream and you're creating the ripple effects in your dream of those experiences and your experiences can seem very, very real just like they do in a dream but it doesn't mean it's changing anything about your true nature. You've never been separated from your creator. You can't ever be separate from the forces that gave rise to you and you can't ever be other than you were created to be to mix some of those quotes from Course in Miracles and Way of Mastery. So you did it. You helped us get through a whole hour. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks for talking uh, about this. Great. Thank you. I'll I'll mute you so you can listen in if you want to. The uh, second hour today is going to be a replay of the 2011 
over 12 years ago, almost 12 years ago now, August 2011, Dr. Lin, uh, remind us all that we come from love, we're made of the stuff we call love, we actually are love, and everything else is false. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. It's a delight to have you with us on Tuesday, the 2nd of August, a new month unfolding in our world. And uh, day, I've lost track of the days, but we're still celebrating Memorial Day. Anybody who chooses to join us in doing that, our invitation to you is that you become willing to look at something in your world that you hold that's based in some form of hostility or fear that you're willing to forgive. And when we talk about forgiveness, we're not talking about letting somebody else off the hook because something's going on in you. Forgiveness is the tool with which you go inside yourself and remove what never belongs. And that's what we're here to support you in. And we invite you to tap into our website, www.why. Again.com, www.whyagain.com. And on the right-hand side, you'll see a link that says Download Worksheets. We invite you to tap into that link and to look at the first three links under that section. And those first three links are the how-to of forgiveness, the internal process of forgiveness. And the difference between the classic you know, the way the world does forgiveness and the way we're talking about it is that in classic form of forgiveness in our culture, everybody's got everybody else to blame but is willing to forgive them. So let them off the hook for what's happening inside. Of course, it's pretty ridiculous to let somebody else off the hook for what's happening inside of you, something that you've created. And so the idea is to be willing to step in and be responsible for everything that's in you. And if there are things you've been blaming somebody else for, that's done by a little trick of the mind called projection. And we invite you to undo your projections. How do you undo your projections? That's what the reality management or forgiveness worksheet is about. That's the Aramaic way of undoing whatever belongs. And so welcome to the show. Uh, if you've got a question for us or a thought, if you're doing worksheets or using any of the other tools and have questions about them, we would love to hear from you about your questions. And our phone number, call in, 646-200-4169. We'd love to hear your voice. Uh, I don't know if you're there, Lynn, but if you are, we've been conversing the last couple of days, and I would love to carry on our conversation in support of where you're heading with the process of forgiveness and with the tools. So, Jeannie, do we have any callers or anything in the chat room at this moment? No, we've got Tim and David both on the line now, but uh, we don't have anybody. uh, I actually got bumped out of the chat room. I don't know what's going on. It says somebody else signed in and kicked me out. So I don't know how that happens, but I'm just now signing back into the chat room. But we don't have any questions yet. All right, well, good morning, David and Tim. Welcome. Good morning. Or good afternoon, I guess. Uh, 
I, I'm still doing the show from back in Oregon in the morning time, but it's afternoon here too, one o'clock. So, so we missed well, you yesterday, Doctor Jim. Well, it's uh, it's really good to be back. I had uh, lunch with two charming ladies yesterday. I sent you an email about that, and I tried to respond to your phone call earlier today, but I did get your note, and I'm looking forward to talking to you about possibilities for later in the month. Cool. And I'm sorry that I missed the show yesterday, but I'm sure it was uh, enlightening, and I'll catch it on the replays. Well, I'm sure it was worth it to uh, spend the lunch time with uh, with two young ladies. That's awesome. It was Christy and her granddaughter. Oh, neat. Neat. Well, tell tell Christy I said hello and send our love. Will do. Well, so what was the big topic yesterday? Well, we mainly talked, you remember on Friday we talked with Lynn, who was talking about some challenges and opportunities with alcohol. And so we shared some ideas with Lynn about forgiveness and uh, some of the challenges there. She had some openings on how to use the worksheet. So it was a really good conversation. I think everybody got a lot out of it. It was excellent. Well, great. So she got to call in yesterday? Instead of just being in yeah. the chat room? Yeah. Yep. And we, we invited her to call in again today to continue the conversation because it was really productive for everybody. But there's some, you know, some core questions and core issues, which it's always good to have that live interaction with somebody who's actually in there doing the work in order to uh, to tap in and do what uh, what comes next in the, in the process of healing. And uh, we're on the, uh, let's see, the 16th day of uh, teacher's training here. And we have a caller. Tomorrow. Oh, cool. Fabulous. Who have we got? Area code 603. 603, I think that's Lynn. Linda? Good morning. Good morning. Well, Glad you're today, calling in. <laughs> it's me again. Cool. Do you prefer Lynn or Linda? I'm... My name is Lynn. Lynn. Okay. okay, cool. Cool. Well, let me just finish a, a thought I was putting out, uh, Lynn, and we'll get into our conversation. But uh, we just finished, we're just finishing teacher's training, and uh, then we have a, a day off between sessions. And the next day we start, on the 5th, we start the 16-day laws of living. So things are rocking here at Heartland, a small but mighty group of teachers. Absolutely uh, awesome the way the, uh, the people who are here studying teacher's training uh, every person in the class uh, has a, a, a quantum leap in understanding of actually teaching the work compared to any of the teacher trainings we've done in the last, I'm not even sure, I've been, been doing teacher's training for about 15 years. And so uh, it, it, to me it's an indicator we're getting close to critical mass. People are really understanding it and putting it to work. So I'm delighted to be here sharing with you. So, Lynn, what's on your mind today? Well, I'd like to share that um, since I've been doing these worksheets and the work, um, I'm having far less reaction to things, or at least when they start to come, I, I can stop and see that it's a reaction right then and there. Um, awesome. Yeah, it is, it is really awesome. Um, and this morning, specifically, I got um, 
there's been an ongoing challenge um, with my father's estate. He passed a year ago, and um, I got news this morning that his house that the executor was to sell was just like left sitting there, and now it has such a bad mold problem, it can't sell without either a huge infusion of money or, you know, taking a, a terrific loss on it. So I, I immediately went to blame the executor of the estate, who seems quite incompetent, there's my judgment, um, for doing this. Um, and and I stopped myself from blame. I'm stopping myself from blaming her. Um, but now I'm, <laughs> this all just happened within the last hour. And um, I'm just starting a worksheet on her now with with this. So I'm wondering if, if we could do that together. Um, what I learned yesterday, Michael, and I spoke with another uh, gentleman on the show when, when your voice went off, is that for me to go right after the, right after the alcohol is not the place to go. It's to right. really look at all the other stuff that's going on. And that my, my tendency in my life has always been to find a quick fix, say it's done and move on. But it's still there. Right. And yep. what I really I got to see yesterday that's really exciting it, for me is, okay, quick fixes, you know, I got to give them up. <laughs> And maybe right. I need to do a worksheet well, on quick fixes. Um, there you go. Because I've been, a, yeah. yeah, I've done, I've done a million quick fixes. Not to, you know, some around alcohol, but everything else in my life that hasn't worked or you know that has been troublesome. You know, basically, right. I think any time I hit any of this, any of this, these associated projections, I'm, you know, I go find something that makes it feel okay. That's done. That's taken care of. Um, right. And this now I just see it's. Yeah, it's a just a, it's gonna you know it's a process. It's gonna you know the rest of my life, the rest of my life. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I am so grateful that I have this time. You know, these I, yeah, that I have all the resources with the work that I have. Um, I'm going to a group tonight locally, um, and so I. My next thing is to do worksheets on quick fixes and and the estate executor who just really dropped the ball. Um, well, and so you know, if you if you look at what's happening for you, what it sounds like, and and I can remember the day that somebody gave me a greeting card, and it said the, you opened the greeting card and it said how to manage your life, or pardon me, cover of it. And when you opened it, it said don't get personally involved in it, and it sounds like you're developing the ability to step back from your mind and watch what your carbon-based memory does, how it just spits out and spews out whatever it is. And whenever there's more stress than you can handle, the stress management device in the past has been, well, I just use a little alcohol then, my stress goes down. Of course, when my stress goes down, I knock out the inhibitors, so I do behaviors with which tomorrow I'll get to have more stress, but, you know, that momentary quick fix. And so just, you know, to, to build the brain cells for as you as you develop the ability to step apart from your mind, to become the thinker apart from your thought, the feeler apart from the feelings, the actor apart from your actions, and don't get personally involved in your own life. But you don't believe everything your carbon-based memory has to say. You know, there's a worksheet on the website and a, a DVD called Healing Through Relationships. 
And in that worksheet, we ask people to do three early memories of conflict. And most people outline in their lives 95% of the conflict that will ever occur in those simple three offhanded early memories, the, the dynamics and the principles. And when you can step away from that and start disbelieving what your body's mind tells you, all that this body's mind can do is replicate, and if it replicates stress and pain, then whatever mechanisms we found successful, that's what we'll tend to, uh, to get stuck in. So, awesome. Sounds like you're right on track. Great. Yeah. yeah. So do you have a specific question about the worksheet at this point? No, I like I say this... No, I don't. I, I haven't done the worksheet yet with the estate executor or the quick fixes. This is like just getting really clear in the last literally hour before the, the show started today. So I guess I'll do that worksheet, and then if I have questions on them, I'll dial in again. <laughs> Fabulous. Absolutely. Uh, you'd be most welcome to do that. And uh, if, if you'd like, we could take a look and uh, and, you know, kind of, go through the uh, the format that you might want to use, say, for instance, with the executor. And, you know, some people would say, well, gee, in that situation, does that mean I just have to lay down and take it? And, oh, well, you know, I lose, the house gets destroyed or, or what have you. No. You, you come from a space where you can hold the executor totally completely accountable, but you don't have to create stress, trauma, pain, and reasons to bring over what the executor does and what what the body's mind, what the replicate mind will tend to do or what we call the body's mind will tend to do is it will tend to take its pattern. Oh, look, they screwed up. Now I'm in pain, in stress, therefore I have a reason to drink. The option to that is, oh, I see that over them not doing it right. Gee, has that ever been an issue in my life, doing it right? <laughs> that I have pain and stress. So if I come at them out of my pain and stress, I'll simply increase my pain and stress and end up with more of the same. I think what I'll do first, instead of starting right out with trying to take this the beam or the speck out of their eye, I think I'll go look at the beam in my own. What's the beam in okay, my so eye? Okay, so to make that concrete... Um, 1A, I put in Brenda, the executor. Right. 1B, what happened is she didn't take care of the house for a year, and now it's difficult to sell, and there's a lot of loss of money. Right. Um, one way or the other. Right. Um, so 1C was, is, I'm pissed. I'm pissed. That's my money. <laughs> um, and the thought behind it is she's incompetent. Oh, I don't know. Oh, she, she, is, no, she didn't do it. Thought? No, she didn't do it. She didn't do it right. She didn't do it right. She didn't do it right. Okay. So then my thought that causes me to be in the feeling of anger, etc. Right. She's not doing it right. And then it, it can help, you know, on the right-hand side of the box, draw your feelings, what you're feeling about that. 
Yeah, it's it's anger. Yep. And what's your punishment thought? Well, I I want to lash out and tell her she's incompetent and she, you know, she owes that money (laughs) that's been lost, you know, comes out of her take. (laughs) Um, Right. And if and if I no. don't do that, oh, this is great, Michael. If I don't do that, I just want to go drink. Perfect. Well, I probably so I, actually that. I want actually I want to do both. <laughs> the anger, yeah. 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 In order to deal with the anger in me, I want to drink so I don't feel that. So we call this sin, self-induced nonsense. <laughs> I have an energy that I have an energy in me that's off the mark, and that's what the word sin means. It's an archery term. You missed the the bullseye. And as a result of that energy in me that's off the mark, I have pain, and my anesthetic is alcohol. And my other anesthetic is hostility, rage at her. Hostility is an internally produced drug that anesthetizes us against pain. And when you look at your punishment thought, you know, you walk past the, the feeling, you look at your punishment thought, you know, there's another worksheet that we do that's, that's an advanced worksheet. This one is the, the base key ideas. But there's another worksheet that we do where we, in essence, ask the question, to remember when someone did what it is that you want to do to punish to you. And what we know by the codependence work that we do is that this is a pretty high level of stress for you. And when we're in high-level stress, what the the carbon-based memory system, the body's mind, will tend to do until we clean this energetic dynamic out of it, which is what the forgiveness is about, what the body's mind will counsel us to do is whatever our power person did to us that we hated the most. Punish so yeah. by by what you just shared with us, what we know is that your power person used to rage at you and take things away from you. Is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I lived so in to be my able whole to, Notice what just happened with your breath there. Notice what just happened. There was an opening in your breath, and that's where that opening occurs. When we were abused in those ways by the power person, we lock that energy in with the breath. And when you soften the breath and can open it, whew, that's when you can let go of that way of punishing. Yeah, that's true. Because up until now, in talking with you, I felt a bit out of breath. And I don't feel that at the moment. Is that what you no. mean? That you, well, you, you, heard, you heard the shift. I could hear the shift in your voice. It's just that little energetic shift that took place. And that's where, the, the, you know, in the, in the ancient teachings they said, and this is all about just doing our work. It, it isn't about theology. In the ancient teachings they said, the veil of the temple must be rent in twain, that is torn in two. The veil is the barrier between the subconscious and the unconscious. The unconscious in the ancient teachings was called the heart. They said, take care of the heart, for out of it are the issues in life. So I play out my behaviors from an unconscious or a dissociated state of mind. That I didn't understand that. Take care, of, take care of the heart take instead care of, the heart. of... Take care of the heart, for out of it are the issues in life. 
that word heart in the language we're speaking of in this word would be the dissociated mind. So when Uh my power person abused and took things from me, I held my breath. I created a veil. I created an unnatural barrier, and I hid that painful experience from myself. And now that it's hidden from me, whenever a situation comes along that resonates that, i.e., my power person did that to me when I didn't do it right, so when somebody comes along that doesn't do it right, I'm controlled by the pain and trauma in my own dissociated mind and do the behaviors of my power person. And it is so painful that I can't look at it. So holding the breath, when that comes up, after it's happened a thousand times, holding the breath isn't enough to keep it locked down. So I look around and go, well, what can I use next? Oh, I'll use rage. Rage is an internally produced chemical that anesthetizes feeling. So, gee, I rage and I go, now I feel powerful, now I feel better. Now I don't feel weak and hurt like this content of my dissociated mind. And when I can calmly step back from my own dissociated states, there will come a point as I start to observe where my breath will, as it did for you a moment ago, spontaneously open. And that, bang, clears out a piece of that dissociated information. Just takes it out out of the state. So the heart is the dissociated mind? The heart is the dissociated mind or the unconscious. And, and that word heart, that, that, Be- that's yeah, the unconscious. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Say again? That's oh, beautiful. I mean, you know, we've, we've labored in the Western world for almost 2,000 years not being able to translate that word. Nobody, until Freud rediscovered the unconscious, nobody understood what was being spoken about when they said, take care of the heart for other the issues in life. You must forgive from your heart the wrongs of your brother. You know, from the Greek translation, that sounded like some kind uh, of misleading heart uh, statement. Yeah. But what they were saying was, in, you know, in the context of our conversation, is, Lynn, you must remove from your unconscious that which you just blamed the um, executor for, your pain and rage and fear. You must remove from your heart the wrongs of your brother. And when you do, the executor does the behavior they do, and you go, hmm, that isn't right. How shall we work out your accountability for this rather than I go into my trauma, my, my holding breath to dissociate, my um, increased stress, my rage to dissociate, my triple increased stress, give me a fifth of scotch. Ah, now I feel better. Well, actually, I don't feel better. I don't feel. I'm anesthetized. Take take two molecules of alcohol, take the water out, you got ether. And so forgiveness is stepping back and observing. This is all just carbon-based memory. This is a, your carbon-based memory system, we talked about that the other day, is a multi-generational database that just carries all these insane dynamics from generation to generation to generation. And when it becomes too painful, when that resonance becomes too much to handle, that's when I reach for my drug of choice. And, of course, you know, we live in a culture that's so drug-oriented, you can hardly go into even a food store and not buy foods that aren't laced with drugs, sugar, caffeine, nicotine, junk food. I mean, on and on it goes. So what I'm... I'm I think I'm seeing from what you're saying is before I got into the um, 
alcohol, which is only relatively recent in my life, um, my my checkout, my anesthet uh, how I anesthetize myself was depression. Mm-hmm. Is that mm-hmm. is that so another anesthet? Is that another is depression another anesthesia? Yeah. yeah. Yes. It's just anger turned inward. Yeah. Depression is the adult form of temper tantrum. I'm really pissed that this is happening. Yeah. But yeah. I'm not allowed to do that because if I did that, my power person beat the hell out of me or disapproved of me or whatever. So now I lock all that anger inside and I'm classified as depressed. And if you look between legal and illegal antidepressants, probably at least 70% of the culture is on antidepressants. Right. Well, that's what alcohol has. I mean, it makes the depression worse, but at least when I'm using it, I don't feel it. <laughs> I don't, don't feel, feel anything. So. Yeah, right yeah I don't feel Yeah. So the thing to recognize is that it's safe to feel, it's safe to look at the truth, it's safe to open the veil of your temple and come face to face with what's in there. Because what you can do is you can just throw it all away and be done with it. It's just a generational pattern. You know, they said when they, in the physics language, the sins of the father would be passed. The A is the three and four generations. Go back and look at your preceding generations. How did they manage stress? Trouble. Punishment. Depression. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now, as you rise above that and move to choice, you can delete, remove all of that. Removing it is called forgiveness. So in the classic forgiveness mode, someone would say to you, your therapist might say, well, you know, that what your, your uh, executor did was really nasty, really bad and wrong, but just let them off the hook. Forgive them. Which, of course, does nothing to change what's happening inside of you. What we're going to move in the direction of is looking at what's in your heart that you project into your brain's image of the executor so that you can delete what's in your heart and then with the connected mind of love you can go to the executor and say, you know, you didn't do your job and the terms of your job were this and so how would you propose or here's how I propose that you take care of the deficiency in your your task. Oh, you're not willing to do that? Okay. Well, then the next step is I'll just have to uh, legally hold you accountable because that's what our culture does is it holds people accountable legally. So I love you. I bless you. I honor you. But, you know, you really did screw up. Uh, And you don't sit in trauma and pain stewing for days, weeks, months, and years as many people do over it. You know, hear people talk about something like that 20 years later and they're still in their unconscious rage about it. You can be done with it today. Well, this brings up a much bigger issue, situation. Um, but how we, shocking. Pardon? What? I say how shocking. <laughs> What I do, stay with Brent or segue into the new one? <laughs> well, you know, if, if you look in almost all of the religious traditions of the world, they have a set of beads. 
You know, if you look at the uh, Buddhists or the Catholics, yeah, there's, there's yeah. beads that they use. The beads are symbolic. You know, if you're familiar, say, for instance, with the Catholic rosary, people do a series of prayers on the rosary. I do it. Yeah, Mary, I have, you know, I have, prayer, I have a, the Buddhist beads. Yep. So, so they do ten little ones, and then, bang, they do an Our Father. There's the big one. And they do ten little ones, a big one. The beads are symbolic. Of, it's a way of communicating to mind that we're going to go deeper and deeper and deeper into our own unconscious dynamics. And, and it's like a set of beads. You, you pull up an issue, and then it'll connect you to another issue, to another, to another. And you just start pulling this string of issues out until you've cleaned out your multi-generation database. And then you have this awesome gift from the creator called a human form into which you incarnate and create your life and play. I love your definition of love, human life. Yeah, I mean, hold the newborn. It's really, you can tell what human life is. All you have to do is just hold the newborn. And, and most people are not living humans. Okay, They're Michael, dead. where do I go? This other issue's coming up, and oh. it's just flooding and overwhelming. Where do I go now? Okay. So you notice over on the right-hand side of the worksheet, there's a, uh, a column there to put some notes about the other worksheets that you're going to do. So okay. you tap in, and, and if it feels like something more important is coming forward than doing this one, then you might want to just pull another worksheet, and we'll start another one. Or you might just okay. make notes over in the right-hand column, okay, I need to do a worksheet on, you know, being abused for this, so, you know, all the times I watch dad and mom get drunk and I was left alone and felt like I didn't have a parent, you know, just what have you. Could we, could we start the other one right now? Sure. Okay. It's um, 1A is the, the Oregon Medical Board. They removed mm-hmm. my license 20-some years ago um, because um, I, I was treating the, the charge at the time that started the investigation was I was treating cancer with nutrition. Right. And it was precipitated by a patient, a 16-year-old with lymphoma who was a ward of the state, and um, his guardian, appointed guardian, took him to me instead of back to the oncologist for radiation and chemo for his lymphoma. And under my care, he went into remission, which turned out to be permanent. Well, this infuriated the oncologist, so he reported me to the board, and it's... Yeah, it started a five-year investigation at the end of which, you know, they were trying to find something on me of incompetence or negligence or, you know, harmfulness or unprofessional conduct, but they couldn't. They investigated me for for years, and then at the end of the investigation, when I challenged their illegal means for trying to nail me, they uh, took my license for not cooperating with them. It was just a, it was a, you know, a very dirty turn. So, you know, and I, I, I've carried that rage with them for 20-some years. So it's like, I don't know what to, I haven't known what to do with it. So notice that this is a similar issue. It's the same, yeah. You know, there's a resonance, but here it is, in fact. There's a book about that. I think it's called Why Is This Happening to Me Again? 
Right. Pretty good stuff. <laughs> so the number one A, the medical board. By the way, have you seen a film entitled Brzezinski? Oh, I know, I know Dr. Brzezinski, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, they put a film, a documentary out, exactly yeah, what I've seen. true, and they've documented it all. Awesome. Right. I know, I know. I, I mean, he's, he's, he's held on. He's, it's just amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. His courage is just phenomenal. Any of that, so then after you put down the medical board, you put your initials. Because notice that, and, and I have no idea, but everybody that was on the medical board that played that out with you, perhaps today, 20 years later, is dead. You're still carrying it around in your body. <laughs> and it's uh, so painful that it drives you to drink. Yeah. Or I rage. mean, I didn't drink. Yeah, rage and the drinking didn't start until quite a bit after all of that. Right. But yep. It was my only resort. Yep. And uh, I think Jean's got contact information for you. I've got somebody else I'll put you in touch with that might help you to resolve that issue on another in another way, too. So, so describe what happened. Um, unjustly took my uh, my license, my livelihood, and that's exactly what the executive is doing, right? Unjustly taking your livelihood. Your inheritance. Uh-huh. Parallels ties right in. <laughs> this is awesome. We did find you were the one. Say again? It's all so connected. You know, it's like this money from my father's estate. I mean, he yanked any support for me during medical school, during my first year of medical school. I worked the rest of medical school to support myself because I didn't do what he wanted me to do that year. You know? It's like So he withheld the money, and I went to medical school anyway on my own recognizance entire. You know, it's just so bizarre the way this is all... <laughs> Well, again, if you jump on, when we finish the show, jump on the website and under that download worksheet section, download yeah. the three only memories exercise, or you might want to order a copy of the video of uh, healing through relationships and the codependence video. But as you do those three early memories, what you find is that you just three simple, silly, off-handed childhood memories, and you will have written about 95% of the trauma in your life and the behaviors that control you your whole life long, the behaviors with which you've destroyed relationships, destroyed yourself, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we can just go on and on with it. Right. And you said three, and so what three, early, offer, three early memories worksheets? Three early memories worksheets, yeah. It's totally self-explanatory. Okay. I just want to make and sure I wrote that. If you want to download it, you, know, you can call back in if you want to download it to be supporting filling it out. So. so now in that situation, my feelings resonated by this unjust taking up my livelihood. It was, I mean, rage and and fear. And fear. I, you know, it's lost both. <laughs> both. Okay. So then the thought behind the rage is What would your thought be if you took a deep breath and just touched into that rage around that issue? What is your thought 
that you think. Let yourself become fully conscious of the thought you think in order to feel rage in that situation. Good, good. There's the breath. Notice the relief that came with that? Yeah. I still don't have the thought, but something shifted, yeah. So the thought's probably something like, how dare they take, I'm doing the right thing and they take my livelihood? Something like that, maybe? Or who are they to have that kind of power over me? Yeah, it's more it's more about their power. Like Okay. Which is the issue with that, right? Them having the power to take away your support while you're going to school. Same issue. Which is the which is the issue of what? I didn't hear that word. The same issue. The same issue as with dad. Oh, oh with dad, yeah. Him taking yeah. away taking away your support when you were going to medical school. Yeah, oh. it's that I'm, I'm raging at the power, that power over me. Okay. Yeah, so the thought is no one, no one should have that power over me. Okay. And then, so that's the one on the rage and now on the fear. What's the fear? What's the thought behind fear when you think of that whole thing? Um... It's livelihood, but it's also who I am. I don't get to be, create my creative expression. Um, I just love being a doctor. So I love, they can, they can, mm-hmm. so I love being a doctor. They can take away my, they they can can take take away away my means of self-expression. Yeah. Yep. And... What do you want to do to punish them? I just... I, I just... I always go back to this picture of having a gun and then walking on my... Pro- there were threats on my life during all of this back in the 80s. And my child oh. and my house. And, and I, I just had... I, I moved to the country and I saw myself up on the cabin in the hill with a gun and I had a dog who would bark and if they came on my property, I wanted to just to shoot them. Yeah. <laughs> I want to punish by killing, destroying. Destruction. Yes, free. Because notice what you're doing with your to yourself. Yep. Yep. I just got myself um I held my breath. I I got into the rage. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then number two is I choose to love truth. I willingly go through the physical, mental and emotional symptoms of healing. Now, in order to believe that all these feelings and these thoughts are caused by the medical board, you have to deny and dissociate from the power person dynamic where this was all done to you by your power person. So that means that you're allowing your mind to tell you a lie. Most people love their lies. So number one is the absolute truth. They are sticking to their story and they want to be right about how it's their fault. But while I'm being right about it's their fault, my physiology is going nuts. And that's my physiology's call 
to 911 to say, there's an emergency happening here in my tissue structure. I need to deal with this. So number two is I choose to love truth. So I choose to love truth in this situation. Ah, this isn't about the medical board. And as I get clear of the unconsciousness around this, I may choose to go back and do something about it. But I'm going to love truth enough to let my mind show me the real root of this issue so that I can clear it out. And when I start to move it out, it's not going to be Dr. Feelgood. So I'm willing to go through the physical, mental, and emotional symptoms of healing. That means that you're very likely to go back to the most intense peak trauma moments in that event 20 years ago and feel them in your physiology, feel them in your emotions, feel them in your heart. Yep. And see the pictures in your mind. And what you want to do is hold the space of love for yourself, connect the love, and allow those energies to move through you and out of you because it's that pain when it's resonated that drives you to need an anesthetic. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. I can feel, I can, yeah, that old, I get that, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So just, just step in, so I choose to love truth and, like, you know, really start to train your mind. You're willing to go for truth, and I'm willing to go through the physical, mental, and emotional symptoms of healing. So on a physical mm-hmm. level, healing looks like any kind of physical symptom you've ever had and low energy. On a mental level, it's any kind of negative thought you've ever had, confusion. On an emotional level, it's any kind of negative feeling you've ever had from depression. So I'm willing to go through that. I'm willing to let my veil open, let my breath flow, and be with that, whatever it feels like. You know, I got... I got... I... I got really sick today of the last kangaroo court where the medical board was the um, judge, jury, and prosecutor. <laughs> and um, what I, I got really sick that day, and it turned into what is now, you know, what is called medically uh, chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia. And, you know, I never, of course, fully recovered from that because I've been whole, you, know, you just said this thing about, you know, it's in the tissues, you know, and as soon as you yeah, said that, it's like... That kind of, nobody can carry that kind of mental and emotional burden and the chemistry that results. Remember yesterday we read the stuff from Candace Perk. Right, right. How our thought produces the neuropeptide, lands in the cell, becomes a chemical messenger in the cell. And that's a hellish burden for the cell. And until you forgive, until you remove that burden from the cell, the cell is going to be walking around, you know, just think about a cell carrying this huge bag of garbage on its back. That's what, that's what chronic fatigue is. And I lost my because sleep. Because you've not been given the tool of forgiveness. Right, right. You've no, not totally. been shown how to remove that stuff. Good, nice breathing. Yeah, yeah. So number three, the thing that causes your mind in in a situation with the medical board and with the the original worksheet that you're talking about with the uh, executive of the state is that 
you have a goal for whoever it is you're pinning that on. Your mind generates a reality from your dissociated content about anyone you set a goal toward that resonates that dissociated content. So the thing to look at is, what did you want from them? So I love, and number three, I love, want number 1A, the medical board, too, and you want to state the exact goal you have in positive words for them. What did you want from them? I wanted them to see who I am, the integrity of my work, the results of my work. Okay, so write each of those down. Write each of those down. See who I am. See the results Mm -hmm. of my work. The integrity of my work. What else? And find me in Appreciate me. Appreciate you. Okay, cool. So if you got those written down, without knowing one bit of detail about what went on with your relationship with what sounds like it's your power person, Dad. If you would be doing a worksheet on Dad, would each oh, of I've those things done, be done several, I've done several worksheets on Dad already. <laughs> mm-hmm. I started worksheets on Dad. <laughs> and number three... So these, uh, number three? Th- um, no, um, number three on the earlier worksheet I did on Dad is Dad should let me be... Let me be, be me. That should be there Recognize for and love. Yep. Love that you, should be, you. be there for and love who, what I am. It's, yeah, it's the same thing. It's the part, precisely the same. Yeah. Bingo. Mm-hmm. It's just called, why am I doing this to myself again? I knew the medical board was that again. <laughs> I didn't have to get myself out from under all of this. Right. So let's 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 move forward and we'll we'll show you how to collapse that so that you can move that energy out. So so you've got your goal in number three. Now the two things have to happen simultaneously in order for healing to occur. Real true deep healing of those cellular neuropeptides that create the load. One of them is that I have to access what's hidden there. We'll show you how to I do have that. to access what? The other one is you have to access what's locked in the cell. You have to convert it back from the neuropeptide to the thought. Let yourself get in touch with the thought that is now a neuropeptide in the cell. Okay. So that's one part, and we'll show you how to do that in a minute. The other part is you need to have the active presence of love there. Oh, right. Step number four assures that you're doing that. So I choose to reconnect to my original being and, and think of yourself, you know, imagine holding that newborn. If somebody held you with, what an awesome presence of love. Mm-hmm. So look in the eyes of the newborn. Smile. Let yourself have a really wide smile that reaches up and let the energy of your smile actually move to the frontal lobes of the brain. That activates the thing in the, from the air man called Rachma. And it is the gateway that presence is love in our physiology. It's the word uh-huh. that they said the first, they said the first law was, you know, and the Greeks translated, you've got to love your neighbor, like it's something you do toward your neighbor. It's nothing to do with it. 
The first law was have rachma toward neighbor. Your father, the medical board, and the executor are your neighbors. And right. it has nothing to do with the behavior you do toward them. It has to do with keeping the gateway open to keep your human life alive in your physiology. Rachma. So that's what you're doing when you're smiling and warming the frontal lobes of the brain. So you're opening that and reestablishing love. It is the presence of that love when it gets to the dissociated part of the mind that dissolves the dissociated information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you got that Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. As soon as you okay. said it, I, the smile came. Yep. Yep. Awesome. Cool. All right, then. So now, in number one, you've got a reality based in hostility or fear. One of the things we point out in the Why Is This Happening to Me Again workshop is any reality based in hostility or fear comes from corrupt data, and it's false. It's a lie. And so I need to, I need to collapse the lie. I need to collapse the projection. And so 5A, in order to collapse my false reality, be liberated from my hostility slash fear, and get back to my actual mind and the truth about me and my object of attention, I cancel, in Aramaic the word is shebang, I go for it, and you bring exactly what you wrote in number three, and I would suggest that mm-hmm. I think you've got actually four different worksheets here. So let's just take one of those things uh, that you want from the medical board. Just take one of them from number three and bring it down to number five, and then I'd repeat the, the, this part of the worksheet with each of those four goals, because I think if I remember correctly, you had actually four different goals for them. Take just one of them. Okay, see who I am. I cancel cancel the, uh, my goal for the medical board to see who I am. Okay. And then, now that goal is a driver that causes your mind to use that dissociated that painful information around being seen for who you are to build your brain's image of them. And so uh. by collapsing it, you get to get to the, you can now start, instead of just seeing that dissociated information when it's projected into someone else, the, the executor, the medical board, dad, whatever, by collapsing, by canceling the goal and collapsing the projection, I now open directly the dissociated part of my mind where now, as I bring love into that part of my mind and I bring forward what I've dissociated from, I'm now in direct relationship with it can change it. And it's a pattern that probably goes back a thousand generations. And so the second step in 5D is we need a helper. Now, there's some Harvard research that says in a time frame where 10,000 brain cells fire the maximum of information that gets into conscious awareness with nine bit fragments. And so... We talk about it as, you know, we have this nine-bit mind. It's a pea brain, and you can't even start to think about reaching into a thousand generations of insanity with with the nine-bit mind. But what Yeshua taught 2,000 years ago was that there was a power in you, in Aramaic, it was called Rukudukudsha, and it literally means a feminine elemental force that when invited into activity undoes the effects of our errors and teaches us the truth. The denial of which is the, un- the, the error that leaves us in unforgiveness. So 
this is the, in our modern language, we could say the superprocessor. This is the superprocessor that can reach to the very depths of our genetics and remove every neuropeptide that went into each generation that never belonged there. And so with willingness, I invite, and there's a blank there so that, you know, whatever you choose to name it, some people call it the higher power, God, Holy Spirit, whatever term you use. I think yep, there's a I vibratory effect to Ruka. I, um, I invite so Mother Mary. I invite Mother Mary. Well, okay. So I invite Mother Mary to incline me toward healing, to really be there as support, to restore me to my original nature love, to assist me in keeping love present, and to help me to come into direct conscious relationship with and remove the dissociated and projected parts of my carbon-based memory. And breathe. Yeah. I want to go through that stuff. I have help. How are you doing? Yeah. I'm breathing. How do you feel yep. Let's do that. I'm breathing, breathing and I'm smiling. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm breathing. So number six, I now feel as you're smiling, is the word lighter? Is it? What is it? Um, yeah, definitely lighter. L- lighter works. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. So I now feel, I'm smiling and feel lighter. I feel relieved. I feel relieved. Yeah. I feel, yeah, lighter. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's what forgiveness does. And then about the situation number 1B. So number 1B was the medical board took away my license. About that situation, what can you see now after doing that forgiveness process? How does that whole situation look to you at this moment? My response is, it happened. <laughs> yeah. It just happened. The medical well, board was doing the medical really board, what the medical board does. <laughs> right, right. Okay, cool. Awesome. And notice that, instead of raging, you're laughing. That's what human life does in the presence of life even when life isn't doing what it wants to have done. However, right. non-human life, non-being rages and grieves and pains and traumas because that's what we've inherited from a thousand generations of insanity. And what just flashed on my mind, you know, one of the hearings, I had hearings locally, you know, in the, in the hospital because they didn't want me to use any of their facilities, you know, because of my... Right entanglement with the board and, and of course the oncologist was leading the local hearings but he sat there red faced yep. smoking a cigarette blowing it in my face and I'm just you know I mean talk about the it was like I just and and then when I applied for a license 10 years later in another state they the same thing happened you know a man just red faced leaned across the table and just telling me how despicable I am and I just had this overwhelmed, you know, just wonderful washover of compassion for these people that are, wow, wow, you know, to, that, that are in that experience. Yeah. That's what human life does instead of suffer. Human life instead is able of, to look and go, oh, my God. Do you, you remember Yeshua says, there's so many times, if only you'd known it, what I wanted to do was just, bring you like a mother chick under my wings 
and support you and heal you. Mm. I remember working with the dean of the medical school in uh, another state back a few years ago, and after we'd done some breath work and some forgiveness work, I offered him the thought, what do you suppose it would be like if medical school were a warm, loving environment where they brought people to be nurtured and healed and sent them out as healers? And he just sat there with his mouth open, like, what a radical thought. And a year later, he quit as the dean of medical school to start working to take alternative medicine into the medical schools. Hmm. The, the, mm-hmm. the presence of love is what heals insanity. More insanity doesn't heal insanity. Right. And so as you, work through a particular, as you work through a particular issue in your life, you get to be the space where that issue can be evaporated from planet Earth. That's how we're going to end war. That's how the whole game is going to change. Yeah, absolutely. And the pain that Dad lived with, you know, it was just huge. Unbearable. Well, yeah. Oh, Liz, yeah. like yourself, Michael, like yourself up to this point, he had no tools. Yes, sir. I just have to say for everyone in the chat room and everybody else who's been listening on the phone, thank you so much, Lynn, for your courage and for your example. It's been amazing. Well, awesome. thank it's you. It's a great recording to be able to, to download. But because we've only got about three minutes left, let's do the last piece of the worksheet so we can complete oh, this yeah. while we're still here together on the phone. Actually, we're down to a very short time. We may not do our outro this day, today. So in number seven, what you want to do is create a new loving goal. You know, in the ancient scriptures, they talked about the evil spirits that were removed from the man. In Aramaic, it doesn't speak about spirits. It says thought. When the neuropeptides have been accessed that are the burden to the cell and removed, if you don't put something back into place, remember they said seven worst came to take out habitation? Mine will just want to create more of the same. And so what you do here is we suggest at least two goals, truth and perfect love. Hey, wherever I go in my world, I'm willing to look at the truth. I'm willing to function as that compassion and that perfect love, and then what would a loving goal be toward the medical board? I wish them love and truth. Awesome. Awesome. You got it, young lady. I called for you this. And everybody <laughs> applauds your willingness. That's awesome. And we're going to run out of time. We're not going to do our outro today, but any final thoughts? We've just got a few seconds. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael Wright and his wife, Amy, who present the internal Aramaic process of forgiveness.